book of Titus, chapter 1. I would imagine that your, uh, your mother told you this, you are what you eat, right? And it turns out she was right. I mean, just look, right? You are what you eat. What you put into your body just kind of has a way of kind of manifesting itself, right? And if you put too much of some of the wrong things in, why, you might have a few problems on your hand. On the other hand, if you are eating healthy, you got some of the five basic food groups in there. You got carbos, proteins, you have some dairy, fruit and vegetables, and a whole, not a whole lot of that, the sugars and fats. Um, if you're drinking about six to eight glasses of water a day, while you stand an opportunity to be rather healthy, you can not only maintain a healthy weight, uh, you're going to be able to have a stronger immunity system. You probably live longer, uh, decrease your uh, chances of getting heart disease. I mean, there's just a lot of benefits to eating healthy. You hear about it. You see it on the back of the box of cereal. The question is, though, will we do it? But how many of you have had the experience that um, you, you ate some food that... Um, had gone a little bad. For instance, you're at a picnic and, you know, it's been about five hours since you had lunch there. And lo and behold, there's still some food sitting out there. And there's that potato salad that your aunt made. And, oh, my goodness, that looks so good. It was good the first time around. It's been sitting there baking the sun. It's warmed up. I think I'll help myself to it. And you put a big plop of that stuff on your plate. And, and, uh, and then about two hours later, four hours later, things start getting plum unpleasant, don't they? Right? Um, you've got a headache. Your stomach starts hurting. It starts turning. You start sweating. And, and it only gets worse from there. And we won't get into all the graphic details, but if you've ever experienced food poisoning, uh, it'll totally knock you out. Uh, I, I had it one time on a Saturday afternoon. I went to a barbecue place in another county, so I don't have to worry about it here. And uh, it was a great time, but uh, boy, that later afternoon, man, it was hitting me, and I paid for it that night. Sunday morning, Sunday morning's a good opportunity for me to show up at church and, and share the word, and I couldn't even stand, okay, because I had had a case of food poisoning. Because if you're eating stuff that is bad, it's going to affect your system. Now, you likely will not die for it, die from it, but you could pay some pretty serious consequences. You are what you eat physically. And that is also true spiritually. And that is why God places such great emphasis in the scriptures that his people are to have a diet of solid, healthy, scriptural, spiritual food. And that is especially the case when we come to the book of Titus. And the book of Titus, especially when we get to chapter 2, verse 1, it emphasizes that God's leaders are to be providing good food for his people. And that is because this healthy churches are developed through healthy teaching. If you want spiritually strong believers, do you know how they grow from scripturally sound teaching? And, you know, we're in a pretty unique situation here at Fellowship. We have so many people that at, at some points in their life or in their ministry, they are actually sharing and teaching the word. I mean, we have people that are involved in all sorts of ministries at present working with our kids we have student ministries where we have leaders that are sharing the word and teaching on a very frequent basis. We've got college, a whole bunch of fellowship family leaders. We have people that lead and teach in Bible study fellowship. We have folks that go out to nursing homes throughout the week. We have every Sunday afternoon, three times a month, we've got folks from our church that go and teach in prisons. 
and they go and they minister to incarcerated youth. They're teaching the scriptures. We've got a few folks that actually go and speak at other churches. They fill in for some of these smaller churches. Uh, One of them does it at a very ongoing basis. We have chaplains in our midst that are teaching the word. We have folks that are discipling others and coming alongside one-on-one, small groups. We have Bible study leaders. We have a whole bunch of families. We have lots of parents who are investing in the lives of their kids and their teaching. And so what I wanted to do was take a look at how in the world do we actually teach. As you, if you look at the text that we're looking at in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. As for you, I want you to teach healthy scriptural truth. And when it comes to communicating God's word, this for me is, is deeply personal. Not just because I have the privilege on a regular basis of sharing God's word throughout the week and on Sunday mornings, but because my life has been so significantly shaped by people who have taken this verse seriously and have come alongside me and helped me grow spiritually, taught me, trained me. I think of back when I first became a Christian back at the University of Oregon. And there was a, I, I found a church where they had this, this pastor by the name of Bob Luther. And he was an older guy, had this white, glowing white hair and glasses. And, but the guy had such a love for God and for his word. And so I'd find myself every Sunday up in the balcony, center section, right there. And I just, I had my notebook open and I just listened to him. And he taught through the book of Acts and pretty much everything he said was new to me. And his love for God and his understanding of the word and helping me understand how that applied to my life had serious and significant implications. Years later, when I was at seminary and I'd since God was calling me to the ministry, I was going to get some training. I saw Pastor Luther and some other guys walking on campus. So I ran and chased him down and I I said, you probably don't remember me, but I just want you to know your ministry had such a significant influence on my life. Thank you for teaching me the word. I feel like I'm significantly blessed because there were individuals who truly took what God is calling for, especially in this verse, and put it into practice. And the same is probably true for you. You probably have opportunities in your home, in your ministry, to teach. Now, not all of us may be teaching on a Sunday morning in a large group setting, but you certainly will have opportunities to talk about your faith and to invest in the lives of others. And every one of us needs to know how do you actually understand the Bible. I mean, we are living in a really interesting age. The Bible has never been more readily available, even in communist countries like China. And yet, at the same time that it's so completely available, in many cases it goes completely ignored. There are many people in America that have Bibles in their homes. That's great. The problem is they're never opened. And we are suffering today, especially in American Christianity, with this situation that folks have Bibles. They give, oh, yeah, I'm a believer, but they don't even know what they believe. They're never in the book. And one of the big problems is that pastors actually never get to it. Maybe they throw a verse or two here and there. And we've got a pattern now where Christians never actually engage the scriptures. They don't even know what they believe. And this is actually affecting pastors who are starting to lose their doctrinal bearings. And they don't even know exactly what they believe. When it comes to spiritual leadership, God couldn't be more clear. They are to be like we've been looking at these past few weeks. They are to be just like is described in Titus chapter 1. They are to, like see chapter 1 verse 9, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that you will be able both to exhort, 
in sound doctrine, and they will also be able to refute those who contradict. Spiritual leaders are those who are growing in God's word. They are guiding people to maturity and they're guarding believers from error. That's what they do. And so when we came to chap- come to chapter two, verse one, he says, in contrast to the false teachers, and that's what we looked at last week, beginning in verse 10. These are the ones who are deceivers or like he says in verse 11. These are the ones who are upsetting whole families with their corrupt doctrine. They say they know God, but they actually don't and they don't follow his revelation. They will not submit to him. In contrast to that, what we need are godly leaders who will teach the people and feed them and help them grow and develop and mature in a relationship with Christ. He says, but as for you, in contrast to these false teachers, you speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Remember that word sound? Anybody remember where it came from? Ujiayano, it's where we get our word hygiene or hygienic meat from. It means pure, healthy, without error, not mixed with things that are false. You... In contrast to all the air that is running out there, you teach that which is healthy, sound doctrine. That is teaching or instruction, truths that God has given to his people. It is that body of truth that's preserved in the scriptures, that's been affirmed by the church, that develops godliness and right relationship with God. Sound doctrine is revealed through the truth and it develops holy lives. That's what I want for my people. I want them to grow and mature. And so the Apostle Paul writes, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Today, the big trend in American churches is see how many people you can get in there. And people will say, I've got we've got 3000 people in our church. But you have 3000 what? You see, we are to focus on depth. God's in charge of breadth. At Fellowship Bible Church, let me just be completely clear. We want our people to grow deep in their relationship with God. That is why we are feeding the scriptures throughout the week and on Sunday mornings so that as you grow deep, you will bear fruit and you will reach out. If, if Fellowship Bible Church was like, we just want to just pack this place out and get as many people in here as possible, we would do it differently. We're after your health and your maturity and your depth because that's what God is after. But how do you do this? How do you honestly Teach in such a way where people actually get sound doctrine. How do you get to a point where you're actually understanding the Bible? How do you develop the ability to understand and communicate spiritual truth? It is an awfully demanding task. And it doesn't come without warnings. Remember what James says, James chapter 3, verse 1. He says, not many of you become teachers, my beloved, knowing that such you shall incur a stricter judgment. You be real careful before you're just running out and saying, hey, this is what God says. You make sure it's indeed what God has to say. And so for all of you who are teachers in some capacity at home, discipling, have some ministry where you're teaching. I would like to give you a week to see how it is that we can develop these skills so that chapter two, verse one is an ever present, ever growing reality. If you were a teacher, let me give you one verse that just gives you the pattern of how in the world we do this. It's found in the book in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra the scribe had the pattern of how you actually go about doing this. And it says simply this, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. 
He set his heart to do these three things, to study it, to teach the word, I mean, to practice the word, and then to teach it throughout all of Israel. But notice first, it starts with your heart. He set his heart. Remember the, the verse that we've been memorizing as a church? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. You know, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. What your heart is engaged in, what you allow to come in here, it has a way of coming out. And so he, what Ezra did is he filled his heart with truth. He set his heart like an athlete sets his heart and his mind to develop skills or a student her academics, she's focused on her studies. Or like a business person, they are in tune with their job and they're staying tracking with what they need to do. That's what Ezra did. He set his heart to do these three things. And this is the pattern of how you grow and develop in understanding and come to a point where you're teaching his word. The first is you have to study it. Studying the word. That means that you just invest time reading the scriptures. And if you come to the approach like, oh, read the Bible, like it's, it's going to be boring or heavy, you're coming with the wrong attitude. Come with the idea of enjoying the scriptures and just enjoy spending time with God. After all, this is his revelation to you. So you find some time to invest time reading. And remember what this is. Like he says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he says, you know, for this reason, we constantly thank God for you. That when you received the word of God, you received it not as the word of men, but for what it really is. What well, really? What is it? The word of God, which does its work in you who believe. And so you come to this with an idea that I want to learn. You invest time reading with the idea of enjoying, of being encouraged by God. And then you make sure that you interpret the passage correctly. Now, you will find when you opened up your uh, worship folder this morning that there were actually two sets of notes and you were going two messages. Oh, boy. All right. And the Cowboys are playing today. How are we going to do this? All right. I, I don't want you to get all alarmed and concerned on me. Uh, I gave you a study guide and that, that those notes, it says, you know, how to understand this and study the Bible an introduction to hermeneutics. This is meant for your as to be a resource for you. You might want to put it in the back of your Bible and just kind of consult it from time to time. But what it does, it's a simple guide to help you understand how to interpret the Bible correctly. You see, a proper understanding of the Bible, it's on. There's two major uh, things that take place. One is illumination. Illumination is the work of the Holy Spirit to help believers to understand the word. When you place your faith in Christ. He's your Savior and your Lord. God's Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. He actually helps you to understand the scriptures. In fact, one of the signs of a person who is a Christian is that they actually have a love for his word. Okay, and the spirit of God will help you understand his word. But there's also you have a role in it as well. And that is interpreting the Bible. And that is where we call what we call hermeneutics, a scary word that simply means the principles of interpreting the Bible. Okay, so try it this week in conversation. Like, oh, we were talking about hermeneutics. Okay, whoa, what is it? Hermeneutics is what? The principles of interpreting the Bible. And I just wanted to give you six just basic principles of interpreting the Bible. They fit with the acrostics lights. We want to turn the lights on on your understanding. Now, this isn't like you follow each step as you come to the Bible each time. It's not that mechanical. Rather, these are just kind of general guidelines that govern your study of the scriptures. And so, you know, when Paul told Timothy, I want you to be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, 
accurately handling the word of truth? These principles will help you do just that. So the first principle is, is L. L is for lights. Uh, uh, look for the natural, normal meaning. To turn the lights on, the, one of the big principles of interpreting Scripture is look for the natural, normal meaning. Okay? What you want to do is just look for the most obvious Meaning, when you read it, take it for face value. Don't try to distort the text by finding some sort of deep, secret, imaginative, allegorical, spiritualized meaning. No, you take it in its natural, normal sense. You take it in its plain sense. Or if it's using figurative language, you realize that a figure of speech, like a simile, is being used. And you just kind of take it in its natural, normal sense. That's how we function. So, for instance, if you read a newspaper and you read that the Dallas Cowboys are flying high... How many of you think, oh, they're in the air and they must be in their airplane. They must be. Fly-. No, you understand like they're feeling good, right? We use figures of speech all the time. So does the Bible. And so the, the natural normal sense is either going to be the plain literal sense or it's going to be a figure of speech. And that presents truth in a colorful way. That's what we do. Friends, this is a major error that a lot of people uh, fall into. And that is that they make the Bible say whatever they want it to say. The Bible is not open to your creativity and like, well, it's this says this, but I'm going to make it say this. You don't do that with any other book, do you? Why are you going to do that with God's book? He has given clear revelations so that you will understand it. It's to be taken for face value. Don't be trying to find some sort of hidden meaning. Okay, well, that donkey there, that really means and you make up something. Uh Uh-uh. You don't do that. You don't do that with any other book. Don't do it with God's book. When the plain sense makes good sense. Don't seek any other sense. And so that's what we do. We read it just like we'd read a newspaper or a history paper. We look for the natural, normal meaning. I is for identify the meaning in context in light of the revelation of Christ. What you, when you come to a passage, you try to understand what does it mean in the context in which it's found. You can make the Bible pretty much say whatever you want it to say if you take passage verses or words out of context. You can pretty much make it say whatever you want. What we have to do is understand what does it mean in the context in which it's found. So the immediate context, the verses right around it, that really has the most dominant force as to what that meaning of that verse is. But then you look at how a passage relates to the book as a whole. How does it flow in its theme and its argument? What's being presented there? But also, you want to take that verse or that passage in light of just the scriptures as a whole. What is what, what can we learn about the nature of God and godliness or our need for the resources that are found in Jesus Christ and the redemption that he provides? You you look at it as a whole. How does it relate? So it's immediate then the book and then just even as the Bible as a whole. G is for gain an understanding of the original words and flow of thought. So what you want to do is gain an understanding. What do these words mean? Now, you have English copies. There might be one or two in here that you brought your Greek text today. Okay, but most of you are working in English. Maybe a couple might have like a Korean Bible where they're reading from. But these are translations. The Bible was originally the Hebrew Old Testament is written in Hebrew and a few parts in Aramaic. And the New Testament is in Greek. There are original words. Those words add so much color. So like the word sound. Remember when I just talked about sound? Ujiyano means hygienic, hygiene, pure. Well, that has a whole new flavor. When elders are to exhort in sound doctrine, you might think, exhort, somebody yelling at you and throwing things at you. Well, exhort actually means to come alongside. And there's some great little Bible programs that will do all this work for you, or there's some word study books that help you get a flavor of what is being said. 
That's principle number three, G, gain an understanding of the original words and flow of thought. Let me give you the fourth one, H, for historical context gives insight into meaning. You know, the Bible was written to a particular person, people at particular places at particular times. Okay, in all these different books that we have, by understanding the culture, and that's by looking at the cultural setting or the geography, it's going to give you a better understanding of what is being said. So remember when we looked at elders are to be husbands of one wife. Okay, remember that? They are literally to be a one-woman man. Well, when we started talking about the island of Crete, and the Roman Empire and the sexual practices that were very common that well then all of a sudden this actually added so much weight. It became like, uh, duh, you're just married to one woman. Uh, like, whoa, that was very different than the way they live. Christianity brought about a major cultural change by understanding that why we had a better insight and understanding to the word. Principle five is T. It's just take into account the types of literary styles. And there's basically four different styles of, of literature that is found in the Bible. There is historical narrative, Hebrew poetry, prophecy, and epistolary literature. And each one of these has unique characteristics and features. And by understanding that, you have a better understanding of what is being presented in the word. And the final principle for hermeneutics, or the principles of interpreting the word, is this. Scripture interprets Scripture. The best commentary in the Bible is the Bible itself. And so what we do is we use the clear passage passages to understand some of those passages that are not quite as clear. But Scripture interprets Scripture. And I just give these to you not to exhaust the whole subject on hermeneutics. I mean, you can spend hours upon hours studying this. But I want you to have just some simple rules about what we follow to help us to interpret the Bible correctly. Because if you're going to study the Bible, you need to be able to interpret it correctly. Like it says, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you've tasted the kindness of the word of the Lord. If you're going to grow in your relationship with God in your salvation, then you need to be in the word. And these are simple principles to help you in the study of your word. And then finally, as you're studying the word. You're reading it. You're investing time reading. You're interpreting the Bible or the passage correctly. You want to investigate what what are some other believers? What have they learned? Okay. And let me if you don't have one of these, you probably should get one for your home. But it's called a study Bible. Study Bible has the text up top and it has some notes, some excellent ones. I've read a lot of the notes on um, are the MacArthur Study Bible. Or the Nelson Study Bible. There's there's quite a few good ones out there. But I've done quite a few uh, reading through a lot of these notes. They are excellent. There's a wealth of information that could be at your fingertips. Okay. And then there's also commentaries on books of the Bible that can give you a lot of insight. And you might want to look at some trusted, trusted websites. There's a lot of just ridiculous stuff out there on the web. Okay. But things like like Bible.org, they're going to give you reliable, trustworthy information. It's instantly available to you. So when it comes to the whole idea that we're going to teach sound doctrine, the first thing you have to do is you actually have to be able to study the word. And I've given you principles. This doesn't even if you never teach, you have to be able to discern and understand what does the Bible say. You have to have the ability to when you hear someone preaching or something on the radio or something you heard on the Web or on the on your iPod. Or you saw on TV, real careful there. Okay, you got to be able to discern whether that person is speaking truth or not. That is your responsibility. 
And in fact, I'll tell you here at Fellowship, I encourage you, don't take what I say at face value. You go and examine the scriptures yourself. Because ultimately what's important is what God says. Now, I will never, ever try to intentionally mislead you. But I want you to know that you have the ability and the responsibility to study the scriptures and to know what it says. These principles will help you do it. When it comes to teaching, though, you not only study the word, but you have to be able to live the word. This is the often omitted aspect of teaching. Remember our guy Ezra? What is he doing? He's studying the law, right? But then he is what? He's practicing it. This is where it's often omitted. Teaching is not information transfer. It's not just informational. It is transformational. It is one person who is gripped and growing with the truth, passing it on to others who are growing and understanding and desiring the exact same thing. It has to go first through your life. And as a result of it being in your life and true in your life, that you pass it on to others. You have to internalize it. You got to know the meaning from personal experience. That's how we teach. It's not just like, well, I read this in a book and I'm going to tell you about it. That's not teaching, at least spiritual teaching. Spiritual teaching is that you have some personal experience with what you're talking about. Remember what Jesus said? Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He's concluding his sermon on the, on the, on the mound there, uh, mount there, and he's, he's saying this. He said this. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. What's in here comes out here. And so if you have deep experiences with God, God has done his work in your life. You've taken passages of scripture and God, the Holy Spirit, has taken it and brought about correction or cutting it out. Different parts of your life that are not in keeping with his holiness. Or you've grown in grace or an understanding of what it means to abide in Christ. You're taking steps in ministry. You're perhaps investing your life in others. You're giving graciously and freely. You have a high view of God. You have a great and high view of scripture. You're growing. You know what what happens? As you're growing, as you respond to the word, it puts you in a position to actually help others do the same. You have to practice it before you pass it on. You have to obey it and follow it before you're ever going to have what is called credibility or integrity to pass it on to other people. And this is, by the way, this is how Jesus taught. Jesus lived the message. When Jesus spoke, it was just merely an outflow of his life. They didn't go like Jesus is saying this, but he lives like this. There was there was congruence. It matched what he spoke was really just an aspect of how we lived. And that's what we want to do. That is what real leadership, spiritual leadership is. You're not only studying the word, you're holding fast the word, but you're you're living it. It's true in your life. So when you come to passages that talk about forgiving. You forgive. Or loving or praying or sharing your faith or encouraging or a whole host of others, they are finding its reality in your life. And you know what? That's going to give you credibility, believability. They can believe it because they're seeing it. And by the way, that's, that'll give you a lot of power in your speaking when you have personal experience with what you're talking about. So when it comes to, to the whole idea of teaching, well, you, first of all, you've got to study the word. And second, you have to live the word. 
But let me give you the third. You have to be teaching the word. That you, you not only just like you're, you're practicing it, you're living it, you're reading it, but you're coming to a point where you teach it. Let me just tell you this. We're all interested in personal growth. But a leader is someone who not only is interested in his or her own personal growth, but comes to the point where they're very interested in the growth and development of others. When you move beyond you to others and you're concerned about them, then you are stepping into the realm of what we call spiritual leadership. You got to study it. You have to live it. I don't know, just on the living I, uh, years ago, Crane and I attended a series of lectures by a guy by the name of Dr. Bruce Walke. He's actually one of the foremost Old Testament uh, scholars that is alive today. And it was, it was fascinating just to hear this guy. I'd heard a lot about him from my Hebrew professor who had actually mentored him. And, and so it was just to be able to sit and listen to him. And, and he recounted an experience where he went to Israel. And when he was in Israel, he was studying the, with some Hebrew scholars. And one scholar in particular really stood out to him because he had memorized great sections of the Old Testament, including all of the Psalms, which he could recite. Name the Psalm, he could recite it in Hebrew. And it was, he wasn't so fascinated that the man was smart enough to memorize all the Psalms. The thing that was so fascinating, or let me say disturbing to him, was this. Even though the man knew all the scripture, he was an atheist and did not believe a word of it, nor lived it. Don't let that be you guys. Well, you know a whole lot about the Bible. Oh, yes, you're in church. You got a Bible. You got 12 of them. And yes, you've read it, but you have to love it. And when you are living it, then you're in a position to teach it. Let me just talk about teaching. One of the great passages on teaching is found in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. That great passage, if you want to know what does the teaching ministry look like, what is God seeking to do through his teachers, whether you be at home, with a small group, one-on-one, with a Bible study, at the nursing home, the next time you're speaking, at a, at a church, what is it that he's trying to do? Let's take a look at that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. These aren't foreign verses. We went through the book of Ephesians. Let's just review it. He says, and he gave some as apostles, verse 11, chapter 4, and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers, for this, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That word equipping means to bring something to its original condition or to make it complete or fit, ready for service. And so that's what we do in the teaching ministry. We want people to be built up in Christ. We want them to be equipped. That means that they come if they are injured and there's a lot of injured people. Frankly, there are false teachers that are messing with the minds of a lot of people. There may be some folks that have even come today who, as a result of legalism, false teaching, some sort of cult, some sort of background that they have, are really messed up. What they need is health. And so the scriptural teacher, he brings them to a point of health. But you know what health is? Health is when you come to a point where you're willing and learning to invest yourself in the lives of others. You are serving the Lord. And so you're not only helping people become healthy, but you're helping the healthy take the next steps where they are actually ministering, reaching out to others. So that's what they do. They equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. How do you do that? How do you equip them? Well, let me just tell you, God uses his people. He uses experiences. He uses his Holy Spirit, 
But one of the primary tools he uses is the scripture. Remember, he says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God. It's literally from the breath of God that the man of God may be adequate, equipped, equipped for every good work. That's why God has given the scriptures to equip his people. Spiritual leaders use the scriptures to bring about maturity. They equip the saints to do the work of the ministry until he says, verse 13 of chapter four, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. We're all completely united in the faith of Christ and of the knowledge of the son of God to a mature man. Maybe you want to underline that to a mature man. That's what God wants for all of his people. Maturity, depth of relationship with God. He says to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, where Christ is completely formed in each one of us. We understand what it means to be in Christ. We live in his presence. We experience his power. We know his purpose. We are following his plan. We are completely fully in him. Verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. God doesn't want his people being bounced around like driftwood. But let me tell you, that will be your reality If you're never grounded, you're just going to be floating here and there. Someone does this. You're like, oh, okay, over here. Someone tells you this, really? And then you're going over here. You'll follow after all the little lusts of your body. You'll follow after people that say things that are not true. And like, really? Yeah, it's just right in the Bible somewhere. And and then that's not how God wants us to be. We're not like a little boat out on the water. and We don't know how to get to one destination that we're supposed to get to. He wants us grounded. By the way. Cults, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, Christian Science. You know who their prime candidates are to get them to join their club or their church or their organization? Ready? It's folks in church that are simply not grounded. Your average Jehovah Witness can whip a Christian into a frenzy in about two minutes. Throw in a verse here and there, like, what? what? And, they, and they don't even know. How did that? Really? And they'll show you a verse. Look at that. And you know what? They are not so lack the grounding and the rooting and they have, they have no foundation that they are easily swayed and they are overwhelmed. It's not to be that way. He wants his people mature, complete in Christ. That's what he's after. And how do you do it? Verse 15 of chapter four in Ephesians. But speaking the truth in love. If you're a teacher or you're a parent, you know how you present the truth? You speak the truth in love. God wants us neither to be abrasive nor timid so that we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Christ is the head. He wants us to grow up. And verse 16 in Ephesians 4 says this, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You got a healthy church when people are in the church are investing in each other, that they can come along with scriptural encouragement. There's health, there is maturity, there is concern, there's care, there's speaking the truth in love. And there's just a variety of opportunities for communicating spiritual truth. Correcting, coming alongside someone that's going in the wrong direction. There's counseling, helping someone overcome issues or counseling them to maturity. Challenging, casting vision, 
calling to mind what God has said or revealed in his word. These are all different ways that we can go about communicating. But let me be real clear. God's goal for the church is spiritual maturity. And he wants spiritual maturity to become a reality. So let me just talk about some of the just the pragmatics, just simply aspects of teaching, whether it's informal or formal. Let me just give you some basics of communicating scriptural truth. You want to be, first of all, controlled by the spirit. Scriptural truth is taught by spiritual people who are walking with God. They are yielding to the Holy Spirit. And when you are, this gives you the ability to connect. It gives you passion. It gives you courage. It gives you insights at the moment. And so you want to make sure that you are controlled by the spirit. Second, let me give you another. You want to be connecting with the people. You want to be able to come alongside people and help them understand. Remember, the word exhort means to come alongside. That's what you want to do when you're communicating spiritual truth. You have to connect with them. That means that they have to know that you actually care about them, that you're concerned about them. Um, If people pick up, if they just they get the idea that, you know, I think you really just like to hear yourself and they're going to probably and, until they can get away from you, they'll listen and they're like politely try to bow out and that'll they'll go. I'll never let that happen again. You have to have the ability to express care, concern. You do that by showing love and respect. And when it comes to connecting with people, please be interesting. OK, don't bore people with the truth. The truth is not boring. And so you want to be interesting and engaging. Let me give you another just simple aspect, basics of communicating, spirit, communicating spiritual truth. Do it with compassion. Remember that statement? Well, people really don't know, really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That is very true when it comes to spiritual instruction. They want to know that you care about them. That's especially true in one-on-one in small groups. If you're working with someone who's got himself or herself in some real error or sin, like Galatians 6.1 says, he says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, you know what you're supposed to do? You're to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. You care about them. You want their well-being. You want them to experience restoration. Let me give you another basic. Be clear. Clarity. It is really easy to be confusing. Okay? You can just start talking and rambling. But you want clarity, and clarity comes by thinking things through or being able to put what you're trying to say and even in one statement. But you want to be clear in your communication. Let me give you a couple others. Connecting truth with life. You help them see how these truths apply to their life, how the scriptures are relevant to some of the experiences that they are going through. And whether that be their marriage, their job, decisions they're making, their beliefs, their values, their practices, You help them see how the scriptures are in keeping with their life and will guide you and show you this is God's way. And he gives you your spirit, his spirit to allow you to do that. And then finally, be committed to the goal that God has. And that is every person experiencing maturity and health in Christ. Now, you're going to have a variety of opportunities to do this at home, various ministries, various teaching capacities. Maybe you're asked to give a devotional. And I want to do this for those of you who have opportunities to teach on a more formal basis. You're you're the one that's speaking at the nursing home or at the chapel service at the military or you're leading a Sunday school class or you're or teaching another church. Let me give you just a few insights on teaching God's word in a kind of large group formal basis. First thing you want to do is 
You want to develop interest. You want to cultivate an interest with your people where you're connecting. So, for instance, you might present like, what do you do if you really have blown it and you've sinned? Is it possible that God really can forgive you? Well, if you want to know the answer to that question, and which of us don't, then you turn to this passage. And everybody's like, what passage is that? Because all of us face that, right? And we want to know. And so you connect. You show how this is important to you and to all of us. We're in this together. So you develop interest. Then you explain the passage using good hermeneutics. What's that? Principles of interpreting the Bible. You actually explain what has God revealed. And you just explain the passage of what he's revealed. And then you apply the truth to their life. You show them how this actually comes into play in their life. Maybe you use it in your life, how it's worked for me, how it applies to you. But know this, the Spirit of God will make direct application with this Word of God because that's how he works. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to do the work of God in a believer. And then finally, cast vision. Cast vision for what it looks like if we, by his Spirit, followed this truth. What it would look like in your life personally, in our church, and your family. And if if I could just give you one principle on public speaking, it's this. It's from Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? Whatever is in your heart comes out your mouth. For a man speaks from that which fills the heart. Fill your heart with truth. Just keep thinking of it, praying through it. And when it's filled, when your heart and your life are filled with that truth, it has a way of just coming out your mouth. So that's what we do. That's what spiritual teachers are to do. They are to instruct. They are to guide. They are to correct. But they are to, like the text says, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. You know, we do that. A a child is born and we rejoice because children are a gift of the Lord. And someone may even quote that verse or read it. And all through life, the believer hears the scriptures and he grows and she grows and develops and matures. And you know, at the very end of a person's life, for the believer, you know what they want to hear? The promises of God, the reality of heaven. There's a young man in our midst and his uh, relative is soon to pass away. And he spent the weekend, this weekend, reading passages of scripture And talking about the reality of heaven. You know what that is? That's spiritual leadership. It is passing on sound doctrine. And that's what healthy churches do. Healthy churches are developed through healthy teaching. Spiritually strong believers, you know where they come from? They grow as a result of scripturally sound teaching. And I'd like to give you just one just powerful example of what this looks like. There's a guy by the name of Bill Mills. Some of you may have heard of him before. He's a Christian speaker. He's an author. He recounted an experience where he went to Hungary and he was ministering to folks there, some missionaries, other believers in the country of Hungary. He was about he had spent that morning talking about the great forgiveness that we find and have in Jesus Christ, how the depth of forgiveness found at the cross of Christ handles and covers even our deepest regrets. Well, after that, in the early afternoon, he was going to go for a walk, just kind of recover from all the teaching that morning. And as he was starting out, a young man approached him and said, hey, Mr. Mills, would you be willing to spend a little bit of time uh, talking with my wife and I? He said, well, sure. Okay, so he he goes to this cabin, and there's this woman, this guy's wife. She's just weeping, just sobbing. And then after a couple minutes, he said, well, tell He spoke to his wife, tell tell Bill 
what you've been experiencing. He said there was a couple minutes of just silence and sobbing. And then finally she started speaking and saying, when I was in high school and and college, I was very promiscuous. In fact, I I flaunted my promiscuity. But then when I was in college, I, I actually started hearing the gospel and I came to understand what it means to believe in Jesus Christ and having saving relationship with him. And I, I started growing in the Lord. And they, she spoke the fact that this she had met her future husband. They had been married. They believed God was calling them to be missionaries in Hungary. They got training and they went. And she said, I'm pregnant now. This is my second pregnancy. I lost my first baby. It was all because the sin of my past. And I believe that I will lose this second baby. All because the sin of my past. And I will never have the joy and the freedom in marriage that I so much desire because of the sin of my past. And I really believe that God will never use us like we had hoped for here in Hungary in our ministry. Because of the sin of my past. Oh, Bill said, but, but what about the scriptures that we covered all morning? Do you remember those? She said, oh, it's, it's just too good to be true. He said, no. Listen, and he said, I, I went through the passages that we went through that morning. I went through them again to talk about the great forgiveness and the grace that's found in Jesus Christ. And, and she simply said, I just can't accept it. Well, Bill said, I'm I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God is going to use his spirit to open up your heart to the truth of his word that you can experience his grace. Now, Bill was going to be leaving Hungary. He was going to go and have a week's worth of ministry in Romania, but he would be coming back to their town of Budapest. And he says, I'll see you in a week, but I will be praying for you. Well, Bill went off to Romania, came back. Train pulls into Budapest. He gets off. He he sees that couple that he had spent some time with. And so he started walking toward them and they saw him and they started walking toward him. But then she stops walking and starts running. She said she came running at me and she just gave me this big hug. And then she said this, Bill, I have been set free. I am forgiven. I am clean. It is over. Now, what what is it? That could bring that sort of heart transformation to that young lady and free her. Was it Bill and his stories? Bill's words? No, it's God's words. It is God's words coming from people that care enough to invest them in the lives of other people. After all, that's what spiritual leadership is all about. Spiritual, healthy people, they come from people who are committed scripturally sound teaching and that is the vision of our church that we would grow deep like the scripture says but as for you speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine that we might completely reach out and experience the fullness of jesus christ let's pray lord i want to thank you for just the clarity of your word you have made it very certain to us that you want us to grow deeply in our relationship with you. You have given us your clear revelation for that very purpose. 
And so, Lord, I pray that all of us would just grow in your grace. Give us a hunger and thirst for you and for your word to know your truth, to live your truth and to teach it, to take steps of faith, to reach out in love. And for the one who is here today who has never put their trust in Jesus and so much desires the forgiveness that is found in him. Lord, would they pray with me and say, Lord, I confess my sin. I turn from it and I trust your son as savior. And I want to grow deep in my relationship with you. And for all of us, Lord, we want to experience the fullness that we have that only comes through knowing and trusting and walking with you. So this be the continual reality of our church, we ask in Jesus' name.